Hi, welcome back to Generally Speaking. My name's Andrew. And I'm Tracy. Today on our show, we have Kim LeJack from our Sleep Center. She'll be speaking with you, us about sleep disorders and generally everything that you need to know about the Sleep Center. Welcome. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, thanks for being here today. Um, I know we, we have a lot of questions for you today, and I think uh, I know Tracy had a, a question for you right out of the gate, so I just kind of want to turn it over to, to Tracy. Uh, I really just wanted you to just kind of explain um, what the sleep center is, where it is, um, what's, what are the things that happen there, um, just to kind of give people a good idea about what it is and what services you provide. Sure. Um, we are um, an accredited sleep center here at Opelousas General. We have um, were initially established in 1990, and we are now presently in um, the office we're in now since 1997. And when we moved into that new facility, um, we purchased and were able to um, acquire equipment which is state-of-the-art and allows us to um, comprehensively um, diagnose, treat, evaluate sleep disorders. Um, we have two, four providers, two uh, physicians that are board certified in sleep medicine and two nurse practitioners, and we're a staff of uh, respiratory therapists, polysomnography technicians, which are who are both boarded and licensed by the state of Louisiana, and of course we have our, our wonderful clerical staff. Um, we have a total of six licensed registered polysomnography techs um, who are excellent at their job and have years and years of experience. So um, they're very good at making sure that our studies are um, clean enough to where the doctor can appropriately score and um, interpret the studies for a good diagnosis. So when a patient is referred to the, the sleep center and they have to have a study done, what for someone who's never had one or doesn't know someone who's had it done, what does that mean the person's gonna do? So initially what happens is the patient comes in for their um, initial office visit to see the physician. We do, um, we take a really good history, the doctor does a good physical exam, and then from there, their sleep study is scheduled for one night in the near future. Now we, um, we do both in-lab studies and home studies as well. Um, in lab studies, of course, they spend the night, the patient spends the night, and for the home studies, they take the equipment home. But that initial visit is just to see the physician or the nurse practitioner, and then from there, um, the diagnostics begins. So can you talk a, a little bit about, because I know this is going to be the question, what do you mean at home study and who's eligible to be able to do that? So you have to meet criteria to be able to have the home study. Um, a lot of the insurances are now dictating whether you can have one or not. Um, criteria is set up. So if you don't have a lot of comorbidities, um, such as high blood pressure, coronary disease, COPD, then you usually are eligible for a home study. And what happens is the patient will come in in the afternoon, usually late afternoon, and they're giving an education on how to set up the equipment um, for when they get ready for bed. Um, we also have a respiratory therapist on call who can direct them at night just in case they're having some problems with hookup. 
after they spend the night with the equipment. It's very simple. It's just a little nasal cannula that um, watches for the flow of air or no flow if they stop breathing. Some elastic bands around, one around their chest, one around their abdomen that watches for uh, breathing effort. And we also watch their heart rate and their oxygen levels. So that's the main monitoring systems that are, are um, available with the home study. So they sleep with it, they bring it back the next day, we score it, we interpret it, and then the patient comes back in for results. What, when someone comes in for, for a study, what's the, how often do you see someone without comorbidities? Or is it, it's a lot of times you will see multiple yes. diagnoses on top of themselves that are leading to the reason why they've had the study? Yes, so we have a lot of high-risk patients lots of high risk patients because there are a lot of um, companies out there doing home studies and you don't have a lot of centers that are doing more high risk patients. So we'll see a lot of heart failure patients, a lot of COPD patients, a lot with coronary disease, arrhythmias, I mean it's just a, such a wide range. Um, so those patients need to come in because there's a lot more monitoring that takes place than just a home study. So with those particular in-lab studies what we're monitoring is um, brain waves, so they're hooked up to an EEG machine, which is a continuous uh, reading or a continuous um, monitoring system throughout the night. And what that does is it gives us information about sleep stages, because during different sleep stages, a lot of different physiological things take place that are very important for um, for proper functioning each day. Um, so we'll monitor that. They also have a pad on each side of their eye to watch for eye movement, which also is um, detects a particular stage of sleep. Um, they have a little uh, nasal cannula, which watches for the flow of air in and out. Um, they also have a little, um, like a little monitor on their chin that watches for muscle movement to see if they're dropping their mouth open to breathe at night. There's a snore mic, which is a little round disc on, on their, near their throat. Um, there's an elastic band around the chest, elastic band around the belly that watches for breathing effort. They are also hooked up to a heart monitor. We have a little pad on their finger that watches for their oxygen level. And there's a pad on each leg or a monitor on each leg that watches for the movement of um, their extremities at night to see if they're thrashing around or if they have um, maybe restless leg syndrome, those types of things. So the doctor takes all that information and puts it together and says, yes, you do have sleep apnea or no, you have this other thing going on. So it gives a ton of information, um, which is not just good for us to die in diagnosing, but also for other physicians like the cardiologist, pulmonologist. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about obstructive sleep apnea. Sure. Um, obstructive sleep apnea is one of the main conditions that we treat at, um, at the sleep center. Um, the majority of our patients have it. We also treat insomnia and restless leg syndrome and narcolepsy, but obstructive sleep apnea uh, is the one that is, uh, we most commonly see. And it's a condition um, that involves a decrease or complete halt in the airflow despite ongoing effort to breathe at night. So what happens is, is um, when the patient will lay down at night to rest and relax, the airway begins to relax as well because there's no bone to hold that airway open. So as they relax, it begins to close, the airway begins to close off, and this is for patients that usually have an enlarged neck or with children it's tonsils 
are um, hereditary and not so much by way of a, a gene but because of the facial structure of the face that's passed on to family members. So those are some of the um, reasons we'll see it. But as they relax, the airway begins to close, air starts um, struggling to get past that airway, that, that blockage, and as it does, the soft tissue back there begins to flap. And as it flaps, that's what we call snoring. Um, so they'll snore, 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 eventually their airway will close off, they'll stop breathing, there'll be a pause, and then the brain as a protective mechanism will wake the patient up, tell them it's time to breathe again, they start breathing, everything's going fine, and then the process starts again. They relax, the airway starts to close off, they start to snore, there's a pause in their breathing, then they wake up again. And then it, this can go on and on all night long. And sometimes those pauses are really long. They can sometimes be 30 seconds, we've seen up to a minute. And sometimes we will um, see these events occur over a hundred times, uh, an hour at times. So it's, it's very, it's, um, it's a serious disorder, especially for patients that have heart problems because when they are lacking in their oxygen, um, with that airway closing off or those pauses, um, the heart doesn't like it, the body doesn't like it, and it leads to a lot of different um, health issues that we're seeing more and more through research. Who, you know, I, I think one of the things is is that um, everybody says, I don't want to go and do that because I know I'm not going to pass the test and they're going to make me wear that thing. So, because <laughs> that's what I hear all the time. Yeah. So, um, can we kind of talk a little bit about that thing and that it's not that bad and okay. just the difference that it makes once they are receiving yeah. treatment? So the gold standard for treatment of obstructive sleep apnea is continuous positive airway pressure. Um, that is one type of machine. There's also bi-level and we'll talk about that in a minute and um, there's two other types of machines for different conditions. but. Basically what it does is it pulls the air into the CPAP machine. CPAP is short for continuous positive airway pressure. And it acts as a splint by pushing that air into the airway um, by way of a hose that's connected to a machine that's connected to a mask on your face. So when that air pressure comes through, which is different for everybody because we'll do a titration study in the, in the sleep lab to determine what pressure that will be for each patient. Um, once that particular pressure is reached for that patient, they can no longer snore, um, they will no longer close off their airway, they have a normal night's sleep. And it's so wonderful for the patients, mainly because the bed partner doesn't have to listen to them snore. Um, but because they wake up feeling more refreshed in the morning because they're not struggling to breathe all night long. So they wake up refreshed, they have a better quality of life, they can concentrate better, not as fatigued as they were before, the excessive daytime sleepiness goes away. Um, so it, all of the symptoms that they were having before, which we, we didn't talk too much about, but basically those are the symptoms that are corrected. Um, they're feeling so much better and some patients will feel better right away and like the next morning after the titration and for some people it takes a little bit longer. Um, but the main reason that patients need to be treated 
is because of the health conditions that we're trying to prevent. So, um, you know, if you already have high blood pressure, it can worsen high blood pressure. If you don't have it at all, you know, you can eventually um, develop high blood pressure and that's one of the reasons for it. Um, we've also seen a lot of research being done now with cancers. Um, because of the effect of the low oxygen levels from not breathing, it affects the cells. Um, we also have seen, and this is probably the latest, is that studies have shown that treatment uh, for sleep apnea can delay the onset of dementia by 10 years, and that, that's huge. That is really uh, a, a big new um, advancement that they have found. So there's still research going on about it, but basically um, overall that's what they're seeing right now. So that's really important. And besides uh, dementia, you had mentioned other types of uh, diagnoses or types of illnesses that can set in for someone who doesn't treat sleep apnea. Could you share a few examples of those with us? Sure. So um, again, it goes back to the body not liking um, what's happening without the oxygen levels being normal. Um, it can worsen diabetes. Um, oh. Yes. and it's real physiologic, you know, when you start digging into it, but it definitely has an effect on that. Um, we talked about the cancer, you know, how that can contribute to worsening. Um, heart attacks. If a patient already has coronary disease and they're sleeping at night and not getting the oxygen they need, the heart is not going to like it. So we see all kinds of abnormal heartbeats at night when the patients are being monitored. Um, and some are deadly. So it's usually because of these um, deadly arrhythmias that we'll see patients um, not do very well at all. And even patients that, um, you know, do know they have coronary disease, they still need to be treated if they have sleep apnea because you, again, it becomes preventive at that point. Um, atrial fibrillation is something else that we do see a lot of, um, which is an abnormal heartbeat. A lot of people are familiar with it, and sometimes we detect it for the first time when they have their sleep study, and sometimes when they already have it and they're treated, then we see a decrease in that arrhythmia, which is wonderful. Um, so lots of health benefits. Like I said before, there's a lot of research taking place, and the more they research and the more they find, the more they uh, are seeing that it is absolutely vital that you get treated if you know you have obstructive sleep apnea. Now, there's something also called central sleep apnea, which is um, mostly related to like heart failure. And what happens is there's a disconnect between the brain not um, getting the signal to breathe to the muscles. And again, that's a real deep physiologic um, explanation there, but basically that's what happens. And so there's a different type of machine that's needed for those types of patients. And um, it's called AutoSV, which is um, the same thing as pretty much a, a CPAP machine, but it adds a breath for when there's a pause in breathing. So it's almost like a mini ventilator. Um, mm -hmm. It'll give them an extra breath that they may need. and there's you know different settings that the doctor will um, prescribe for those types of patients. Um, COPD patients or patients that have musculoskeletal disorders, 
There's another type of machine that these patients need and it's called an AVAPS machine and it actually um, does everything the others do. In addition, it will add um, uh, a, not just the breath, but how much air is given to the patient. And again, that's, there's an algorithm for that and that's set up by the physician as well. So, you know, we have different types of therapies for different types of sleep apnea. With uh, this being the more so now than ever that you're so connected to everyone with electronics and being bombarded by information all the time, are you finding that the uh, introduction of smartphones or into the not only the everyday use but the convenience of where you can go to bed scrolling mm -hmm. or texting someone, are you finding that these are I guess these innovations are negatively impacting the way people are supposed to be resting? Absolutely, and we teach this as part of our education every time we see a new patient. So what happens is um, patients are going to bed with their phones, their iPads, their um, tablets, their computers, all of these wonderful electronics and the light from these devices are telling them to stay awake. So the light passes through the eye and it goes back to a particular part of the brain and it's telling them to stay awake. And so that is definitely cutting back on the amount of hours you should be getting your sleep. So we do a lot of teaching about that. Even the TV needs to go, which is not nearly as um, as harmful as the other devices in, in bed. But we always tell them before you go to bed, put your phone, put whatever into um, the charger and leave it alone and don't turn it on. And it does make a difference. It, it really does make a difference. So yes, these things are wonderful to have and uh, are a lifesaver in many, for many reasons, but it is not helping with your sleep. Good to know. Nobody wants to hear that then. But well, it's true. It is true. And I, and I think that it's just really important that everybody take in this information and realize how important your sleep is, that it's not, I'm the worst one to say this, and anybody that knows me that's listening to this is like, oh my God, really? Um, because I'm the, I'm the worst about it. But how, how important your sleep is and how it impacts everything throughout, throughout your day. And um, I wanted to see if you could just give us some tips on promoting sleep, um, and a healthy lifestyle and just just to kind of talk a little bit more um, about some better things if we're trying to be better what can we do sure so um, one of one of the issues we is, we see a lot is patients that are really sleepy because they're not resting well at night they're drinking tons of caffeine whether it's coffee or tea or or um, soft drinks or any type of caffeinated drink. So what we'll tell them is um, by 10 o'clock in the morning or at least by noon, you need to cut the caffeine out. Ooh, I don't know about that. Because <laughs> for some people, it will stay in their system up to 14 hours. So that you can see how that's getting into the nighttime where it's gonna interfere with sleeping. Um, exercise, fantastic, we always promote it, but you don't want to do that too close to bedtime. Um, you, you don't want to be all hyped up, you want to actually start to relax when it gets closer to bedtime. Um, 
uh, avoidance of naps if you possibly can during the day so that you're sleepier when you get to bed at night. Establish a regular bedtime routine and we especially do this with uh, do this type of teaching with children and um, adolescents. Uh, adolescents are probably the worst with electronics in bed um, but they do need to cut those those devices off and they need to um, have a set time for um, starting to settle down at night, having that warm bath to help you relax, uh, maybe do a little reading like with a book, um, something that doesn't have light in your eyes, and just start to settle down, relax. And with children, you know, we'll say prayer time or read the book to them or but a constant routine every single night and then waking up the same time every day. So um, if you stay in that um, routine, then you that particular routine will follow you into adulthood, helping you to maintain those good sleep habits. Um, alcohol, of course, uh, it can fragment fragment your sleep over the second half of the night and the reason that that is uh, important to know is the second half of the night is where you get the most benefit from sleep because you get into that good deep sleep and basically those are the main things that we do a lot of teaching about um, you know like I said the main thing is getting into that routine and staying away from those electronics in bed and so hopefully the next day you wake up you have this wonderful outlook on life you're rested you're ready to roll um, good energy level and um, you're preventing disorders from occurring and it's a preventive measure as well just like CPAP therapy is preventive uh, so we're is taking care of your good sleep habits um, well, can you uh, give everybody information about how they can get in contact with the office and make an appointment and just where you're located? Yes, we are um, part of the hospital, of course, but we're not inside the hospital. We're at 808 North Natchez Boulevard, a little light green building behind the parking garage um, across the street. Um, our phone number is 337-943-7146. Just give us a call. We'll set you up with an appointment to see the doctor. Um, some insurances require a referral from your primary care physician, but we can give you that information if you give us a call. And we'll get you set up. That sounds awesome. Thank you so much for coming to speak Thanks for coming today and uh, talking to us about all things that are a uh, sleep center. So thank you so much. Thank you guys for having me. Mm -hmm.